This is episode 32 of Cinescope, and missed it by that much. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is returning guest TJ Draper to talk about one of our favorite films, Get Smart. TJ, how are you doing tonight? Chad, how do I know you're not from Control? If I was Control, you would be dead. (laughs) Well, if you were Control, you'd already be dead. Well, neither of us is dead, so obviously I'm not control. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing well, Chad. I'm doing well. Great, great. I I am excited to talk about this movie because this is one of my favorite comedy films. And so it's been on my list to get to ever since starting Cinescope. And I know that you and I have talked about it a little bit in the past. So who better to talk about Get Smart than you, one of my old podcasting buddies? Well, this one, you know, the other couple of episodes I've been on, I've it's been my favorite, and it's not that I dislike Get Smart, but this one's your favorite, and I like this one too, so that works out well. Uh, well, how about you reintroduce the people out there to yourself, what you do, stuff like that, before we move on? All right, I'm TJ. I'm a web dev, a geek nerd, a film guy. I like TV and sci-fi and all that stuff. I used to run a, a podcast called Movie Bite. Uh, Chad, you were co-host with me for 50 episodes, I think it was. And, yes, sir. Uh, you, you were a great co-host. Uh, you stepped in and filled some enormous shoes. Uh, no, really, he has big shoes. Uh, so, so that was a show that I ran for 150 episodes, and now I run a show called Retake on the NightOwl.fm network. Excellent. Yes, uh, we've been podcasting together for a little while now, a few years, actually. It's hard to believe. Yeah, And yeah. so it's nice. It's always nice when we can sit together in the, the proverbial studio and talk movies again. Well, I, I'm in my studio, Chad, which, which is really just a closet filled with uh, sound foam. <laughs> right. Well, I've got my, my trifold of uh, sound foam in front of me. So we're, we're in our own studios. We're in the cone of silence. As yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's go ahead and get started. Before we do, just remind our audience, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. It's a big help to the show and helping us to find other listeners and also go share it with friends elsewhere. Go to Twitter, go to Facebook, post it, say, hey, listen to this podcast that I like. And that would be a big help to us. So thank you in advance. Help chat out, guys. Yeah. And then go to TJ's and do the same thing for him with Retake and Night Owl and all that good stuff. Yay. So let's talk about Get Smart. Are you ready, TJ? I am totally ready. This movie is released on June 20th of 2008 and was directed by Peter Siegel, who also directed Tommy Boy, Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, Anger Management, 50 First Dates, The Longest Yard, and The Grudge Match. So a lot of comedy under this guy's belt. Uh, can't say I've seen many of those other films. I have seen Tommy Boy, I think, but... I, I haven't seen any of the other ones. But good thing he directed this one. Yeah, yeah. It was written by Tom J. Assel and Matt Ember and was based on the original TV series Get Smart, which ran from 1965 to 1970, starred Don Adams, and it was created by Mel Brooks and Buck Henry. Which I also have not seen. The music is by Trevor Rabin, who also composed the scores for Armageddon, Enemy of the State with Harry Gregson Williams, Gone in 60 Seconds, Remember the Titans, National Treasure, and its sequel, Book of Secrets, 
Coach Carter, Glory Road, Race to Witch Mountain, Grudge Match, and Max. And I assume you've listened to all those scores. Several of them, yes. He's <laughs> he's a composer whose name you don't hear a whole lot of the time, but he's been in a lot of places that you maybe didn't expect. Yeah, I'd never heard of him. I, I always associate him with National Treasure. That I Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course, National Treasure. I, d- I just didn't know who had composed for National Treasure. Right. I, I got I like the first time I watched National Treasure, it was before I really started paying attention to people in movies and stuff. So, right. The movie stars Steve Carell, Anne Hathaway, Dwayne Johnson, Alan Arkin, Terrence Stamp, Dilip Singh, Ken Davidian, Masi Oka, Nate Torrance, Terry Crews, David Kechner, James Kahn, and has cameos by Bill Murray, Patrick Warburton, and Stephen Dunham. So, TJ, what was your first experience with this movie? Oh boy, I um I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater maybe. Um but this this uh, you know, it was what was 2008? Yeah, 2008. I I this this is a problem that I have, Chad. I don't remember first experiences very well. I they kind of be stuff you know, kind of becomes ingrained in me and I kind of forget what my first experience was, but I've always uh, I do know that I've always loved this movie. Um, it, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. So I, I, I really can't speak to my first experience though. I can't remember the first time I saw this movie either. I thought I might've seen it in the theater, but when I pulled out my ticket stubs that I have collected, <laughs> I could not find it in the year 2008. So maybe I didn't, maybe I lost the ticket stub, but in any case, I do remember sort of watching it for the first time, whatever situation that was and loving it and laughing a whole lot. And I've always enjoyed it. In fact, I remember actually uh, searching around the city, going to several different stores to find it on Blu-ray. I I don't know why I didn't just order it off of Amazon, but I just drove around town and I looked here and there and everywhere and eventually found it, I think, at a half price books. So it's a movie, like I said, it's one of my favorite comedy movies and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, unfortunately, I still only have the DVD copy, which is what I watched, but it, it was fine. It, it, you know, once you get into the movie, I didn't notice too much that it was a lower resolution experience. And my, my TV's not huge, so that probably helps. Um, well, let's go ahead and dive into the story. So from the very beginning, when he's walking down the hallway and he's got the doors opening in front of him and all of a sudden a uh, paper wafts off his stack that he's carrying in his arms, gets stuck in the door and he has to pull it out. And then he is running, sprinting for all of his life, trying to beat the next door before it closes on him. And he doesn't make it. Right. Too late. (laughs) He threw threw the timing off. Exactly. And the score cuts out and it pauses for just a moment for him to go up to the keypad and type in the code, which is what else? The theme song, which is fantastic. It's a, a great sort of meta moment, I suppose, because it is the original theme song from the TV show. What do you have to say about the story here? Uh, so I, I do love kind of the way this film opens. And in fact, one of the notes that I made when rewatching this, uh, last night, uh, I'm sorry, the night before last was, uh, oh man, the old iPod interface. And it's, it's only 2008, right? But like, right. you just don't see iPods like that anymore, which, which was kind of fun. But then, you know, like you say, you get into this, uh, the, the whole sequence going through the doors kind of lets you know what kind of a movie you're going to be seeing. Well, you kind of got hints of it too before with the, the cream and the coffee. <laughs> right. So, so <laughs> gross. So gross. <laughs> Uh, but then as soon as you start going through the doors, you really kind of know what kind of a film you're in for. You're you're in for uh, something that's not so serious. Although I think throughout the story, the film does surprise you with some of its more serious aspects. Uh, you know, you it kind of catches you off guard uh, and, you know, you kind of... Uh, you kind of, you know, you kind of get enveloped into the story as as it goes in ways that you aren't expecting to. Yeah, it's a sort of 
combination genre film where you have comedy, yes, but it's also a spy film and an action film. And the comedy isn't the typical kind of raunch or shock humor that you get in a lot of comedy films nowadays. And that's one of the big appeals of it for me. And at the whole heart of it, you get a relationship. And that's really what the movie is about. If I had to point at any one thing aside from just Steve Carell being goofy, it's it's about the relationship between Max and Agent 99 and Hathaway's character. Which is, which is, you, which is, the pairing shouldn't really work, but it it does. It does. (laughs) It does. It's a great pairing. And you get to watch as they, they start off sort of antagonistic toward each other. They're not really getting along, or at least 99's not getting along with Max because he's just happy to be there. This is something he's always wanted. And, as the film progresses, they grow accustomed to each other and they even start to get close to each other. And it, that's what the movie's about. And I love that. Well, he definitely uh, like he, at first he's just happy to be there and he's trying to be friends with her. But he definitely starts getting annoyed with her, which really starts to come out when they when they land from the parachute stuff. And and he just, you know, the whole thing is, is that your default setting? You just punch punch me. When, right. you know, and, and then, you know, the whole dance off and stuff like he's definitely starting to get annoyed with her and trying to prove that, uh, you know, he he can he can be goofy and weird, but he knows his stuff, you know, and that's that's kind of what he's trying to prove to her. And and they, they you know, both of those, both of these characters have a fantastic arc overall, especially I think, um, you know, Max, of course, being the star of the show, he has the biggest and, and best arc, uh, which is, you know, uh, maybe arc is the wrong word because he doesn't really change over the course of the film, but he has a great story like his his story, of course, is first and foremost. And then the arc, I guess, really does kind of belong to Agent 99, who learns to respect him. And by the end of, you know, spoiler alert for, for anybody who hasn't seen the 2008 film that we're talking about, um, you know, he, by the end of the film, she's she's okay with dating him, which you would never have thought would happen, you know, at the beginning of the film when you first meet her and you see their interactions together. Yes. Is there anything else about the story that you like here, TJ? Well, oddly enough, uh, I sort of like... Um, and I, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I maybe I got confused. I thought the character's name was Dalip, but is that the name of him, the actor too, or do I have the something reversed? It's both. Okay, okay. So I, I do like Dalip's arc. It's, it's funny. It's, it's goofy. You know, especially when they, when, when Max is comforting him and it's, he's crying on his shoulders, big, you know, burly, probably six foot five, you know, three hundred pound, not fat guy, um, you know, is, is crying on Max's shoulder. Uh, and then by the end of the film, you know, he's he's kind of, you know, ready to take take things into his own, uh, you, you know, he's not going to put up on the crap from Siegfried, for instance. Uh, so it's uh, I really it's it's just a fun kind of a side story that goes along with the main story that's fun to follow. His head looks like one of the Easter Island heads. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's still funny. Um, well, you know, the Easter Island heads like in uh, Night at the Museum, the guy who calls Ben Stiller dumb dumb. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. Making the connection now. <laughs> I'm a little slow, Chad. That's all. Uh, it's it's okay, okay, TJ. We all have our moments. Um, <laughs> uh, one more thing about the story for me is that it's not. I don't think it tries too hard to make me laugh. There's a lot of films that it's just like joke after joke after joke, and I laugh yes. a lot in this movie. But it's more from characters put into comedic situations or even just serious situations and reacting. Uh, humorously it's it's just a good sense of humor film overall rather than just trying to beat you over the head with a joke stick yeah yeah and and one of the things that i kind of noted about this film uh which is you know i was i was taking note again to make sure that it's still aligned with my sensibilities but i kind of have this um this threshold where a movie gets too stupid 
Uh, for instance, Johnny English. <laughs> oh, man, I'll, I'll tell you real quick. Johnny English <laughs> is one of the only movies I've almost walked out of the theater for. Oh, that movie man. was, oh, I, I don't want to talk so about bad. it. It was so bad. So, so um, there's this threshold that I have where, you, you know, you can have humor, you can have comedy, and if you, if you kind of start crossing that threshold, like, it gets into what I call cringe territory or, or uh, you know, um, embarrassment on behalf of or just embarrassment that you're watching this film. Like, you just you can't even watch sometimes. That's the way Johnny English and other films kind of do for me. But this film definitely rides that line. Occasionally, it strays across it uh, just a little bit. It was way over my wife's line. Like, she sat down to watch it with me, and she's just like, I can't, I can't watch this. She's <laughs> Kind of, she was kind of in and out after that. So she has a much less tolerance than I do. But this one definitely made me laugh, but it didn't cross that threshold too often where I was just cringing, like, ugh, just stop. Uh, just just once or twice, and I don't even remember when and where it did that. So I that's one of the reasons that I enjoy this film is it's really hard for me to find a comedy, you know, that's pretty much purely comedy that I enjoy that that doesn't cross that threshold you know like another another example of movie that almost everybody else loves and i just can't stand because it's way over in my cringe meter is uh space balls and and that's also i believe mel brooks was involved in that right so yes he he <laughs> directed that one yeah so the, the space balls is just way off the charts in terms of that may even be worse than johnny english for me it's just like i just can't watch this it's so stupid <laughs> <laughs> but get smart is not like that for me that's good. That's good. Well, let's talk about the characters just a little bit more specifically. So we've got Max, played by Steve Carell, who's sort of a, a he's a hopeful character. He's a character who's had a dream all his life for the past several years, and he's only now been able to realize it because he's put away some physical concerns, and he is just happy to be there. He wants to be an agent, and his dream finally comes true. And I, well, I, I love yeah. seeing this this character who has a dream. It's sort of put down at first. He, he's told that he was so good at his job that he can't move on. He can't be promoted. But then he's <laughs> given the chance to live that dream. Yeah, by special circumstances. I, I, I think the thing that I love about Maxwell Smart, where in, in something like, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I want, you know, I think John English may have come out around the same time because in my mind, they're like, these are the same genre. And so, and I watch them close together. So I always make the comparison of why I like Get Smart better than Johnny English. But, you know, where Johnny English, the dude really is a, uh, you know, Johnny really is a bumbling fool with no skills. The thing I love about Maxwell Smart is he's goofy and he's weird and he does stupid things, but he's also really good at what he does. And right. he, he, it's not that he's bumbling and he accidentally does good things. It's like he can actually get good stuff done. And I, I like that. Like, cause I like the more serious, dry and deadpan nature of Maxwell Smart. The, you know, where, where, you know, the Johnny English and Spaceballs and all that stuff, it, it's all just slapstick. And I, that's, you know, slap, I have slapstick. I just, I don't go for much slapstick. Yeah, there's always uh, a few exceptions for slapstick, but generally I prefer like a smarter kind of comedy. Well, then you need to get you need to get smart, Chad. Oh, get smart, I'm sure. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right. His his lack of experience in the field shows at times, um, but he never we never doubt his capabilities. Right. There's there's a moment when in fact I think all the times where he sort of fails the most is when he's trying to show off a little bit like when he goes into the airport bathroom and he's trying to get the parachutes and he has to take the handcuffs off first which are just a yeah, zip tie. Yeah. I think that was the one of the moments that was kind of over my cringe meter. It's like, ah, we did we need all this. Yeah, I mean, the bathroom humor aside, um <laughs> <laughs> what what is uh, funny about it to me is that he's holding a pocket knife in his hand and the handcuff is a zip tie. So if he was trying to do something like imagine if he just had a normal pocket knife in his hand, he would just try to cut off the zip tie. But because he has a super cool spy 
pocket knife. He has to do it the super cool spy way with uh, dart gun and string. Well, for for sure. After the first couple of times he harpooned himself with the silly you know thing, it's like. Okay, why why are you not just using the pocket knife to cut the zip tie? I do not understand what is happening here. And they, they set him up to be a little smarter than that, so that's why it didn't really work for me. That's fair. Um, it's not my favorite scene in the film, so I take no offense to that. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because mostly I just want to celebrate this film like the tagline of your podcast says. <laughs> Definitely. Um, another moment where he sort of shows that he, he isn't entirely used to the field yet is when he, he tries to surprise starker with the element of surprise and he grabs the the corded phone and he tosses it at him and because it's a corded phone it's not quite long enough to hit starker the way he would like and so he reacts in the moment and is able to push the table into his legs and uh that's funny see that was a much better example of i think the, the the humor that works and gets smart where they make the joke they make it quickly he oh he doesn't have the experience he didn't realize that phone cord wasn't long enough and it had the spring and it sprung back but then he instantly recovers because he is pretty good at what he does and he instantly recovers and, and gets it right you know with the table move and that that is a much better example of you have your humor but then you also stay true to the character where maxwell smart is pretty smart and I love that aside from the the spy aspect of his character, he's a character with a kind heart. You mentioned the dancing scene earlier where he goes up to a larger woman mm-hmm. and asks her to dance because he's been in that situation. He knows what it's like to be the big person in a room and to not have your dreams realized or to have people pay attention to you because of the way you look. And so he goes past that stereotype and invites her to dance and they have a great time and she shows everybody up. And it's an amazing scene for that reason. Yeah, and I love that he did that, first of all. I mean, I just, I love that this character, you know, he understands, I think, I think because he has the empathy for her being large and overweight, but also he has empathy, I think, uh, just in general for people. And, and so it really shows like the, the, he doesn't, you know, dislike or hate anybody. And that's true to his character. Yeah, I, I just, I just really love that scene. Or at least I, I love him asking, uh, her to dance. Yeah, and I, I love the whole dance scene. So yeah, I love that. Anything else to say about Max? Um, I, I, you know, again, I just enjoy his story uh, overall. Uh, I, I said originally arc, but the more I think about it, the more it's like, no, you know, and normally this is a bad thing, but I don't count it as a bad thing here where he doesn't really have much of an arc. He just stays true to himself mostly throughout the film. And I think that that works really well in the film's favor because you, you're, you're rooting for Max. You you want Max to win. You want him to get it right. And, and when, when the... Uh, you, you know, you know something's up. Somebody set him up. You don't realize who yet, but when when you know the setup happens and he's put in uh, he's put in detention or in the holding cell, you you want him to figure it out and to get out and to fix it. And you know, you know, ultimately, you're you're it, you know, it's a pretty good story too. In that you're like, well, who's who's the traitor here? I'm just not sure. And in the end, it makes sense who it is. And but you just didn't have any suspicions of who it might be. So that makes for a suspense too. So, uh, yeah, I, I like I like Max's story. You said it. I think the it, it's okay when a character doesn't necessarily have a quote-unquote arc when a character is holding true to who they are and, and sticking to their ideals and doing what is right. I think that's just as interesting as having an arc. I mean, that's what's great about Captain America, right? Is Because he's Captain America and he's always going to be true to what he believes is right. Yep. And I think Max has that same sort of ideal here. Agreed, yeah. Now, what about Agent 99? Well, I love her too. I mean, have you ever seen, I haven't seen Anne Hathaway in many things, but I don't think I've ever seen anything where I did not like her. In, in uh, no, I don't think played. so. 
So obviously, um, her stint as Catwoman was great. Um, and then, of course, she had a, a great role and a great character in Les Mis. Um, you know, she's always just fantastic. So as an actor, uh, yes, I, I definitely enjoy uh, her. But also as a character, uh, I think she's interesting here in this film. It would have been so easy to cast uh, somebody or to play somebody here who didn't mean that much and was just there for the the joke of it or, you know, the the weird tension that they have together. But they actually made her character interesting and they gave her things to do. Uh, and then in the end, you know, she wants to believe in Max. And so it's easy for her to come around when Max reveals what's going on and how he wasn't responsible for it. Uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, the Anne Hathaway here as Agent 99 is is really just fantastic. I love how throughout the film we get to see her as this super awesome, highly qualified, highly dangerous spy. And we get to see her in action several times. And she she there, there's this one scene where Max is struggling to take out one guy and she proceeds to take out three at the same time. And so we're witness to her being just awesome in general throughout the film. But we also see the softer side of her as she gets closer to Max. And we, we see what sort of hurts her heart. I used to look like my mom and now I don't anymore. And that's, that's painful. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my connection to my family and that connection is no longer there. And that, that's a really sort of heartbreaking side to her character. And so I love that, that we see that softer side and that softer side sort of goes into her finding affection for Max. And mm -hmm. she finds that affection for Max as she sees, you know, he may not be as experienced, but his heart's in the right place. He's doing the right thing. And so th their stories sort of meet in the middle, as it were. Yeah, I, I agree. And the two of them together, they have a great back and forth chemistry. It's even at the beginning when they're sort of antagonistic toward each other. And uh, Max criticizes her for being overly sexual and getting what she wants. And she criticizes Max for not knowing what he's doing some of the time. And it, it's it's a fun back and forth. And um, those are the two main characters. There's not a whole lot to say about the others, but there's Agent 23. Mm, I, I have to disagree with you there. I, I do have one more character I, I want to talk about. Okay. And I know he doesn't play a huge role, but I really love Alan Arkin here as the chief. I mean, just he's just fantastic. Like, you know, anything that Alan Arkin does these days is just, you know, pure gold. I mean, just the, the guy is just a lovable guy. But but here he just he I, and I really love the scene where, you know, at first he's like, uh, you want a piece of me? You know, he's the 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 Secret Service guy. And then they're dragging him away. But then he gets to come back and he punches him. He goes, you know, uh, so what was it? He had some line about how old he was when he punched him. You'll have to speak up. I'm an old man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was great. So he doesn't have much to do and he doesn't have much of an arc, but he's a really fantastic character. Oh, for sure. I, I, I was going to get to him eventually, I promise, uh, because I love Alan Arkin. You know, I can't imagine Alan Arkin as a young person. For me, no, he's me just either. always this, this old guy who sort of sits at the side most of the time and is just always hysterical. Um, he was in another film we talked about on Cinescope, The Muppets, and he, 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 he has this cameo where he is a sort of, he, he's the operator at the, the Muppet attraction in California. And they ask him, is this Universal Studios? And he goes, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here, I, I gotta say, probably the funniest line I have ever heard in a movie, TJ, the, the line that has made me laugh the most, at least, is, holy, I, I don't want to say the word, sorry guys, yeah, I don't curse, yeah. in case you haven't found out on this show yet, I don't curse, but the, the, the line is, holy shoot, holy shoot, 
a swordfish almost went through my head. Yes, And yes. that line <laughs> kills me every time. That's the line that I remember most from the very first time I ever watched this movie, because that's the scene where I almost died from oxygen loss because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> that is one of the lines that I have for, for later when we talk about our favorite lines. And it's, it's, the whole thing, you know, especially in the context, it's, it's not just that he says that. It's right. uh, when, 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 you know, Maxwell says to him, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And he says, I don't know. Were you thinking, holy shoot, holy shoot, a swordfish almost went through my head. If so, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so like straight-faced Alan Arkin. He's not playing it up. He's just staring down the swordfish that's staring him down. And uh, he says that line and it's delivered perfectly. And I laugh and laugh every single time I watch that. Yeah, that's that's pure gold right there. And another scene where I really think he's funny is when he's trying to pronounce Christic. And he, <laughs> Chris is just, uh, and he he says it wrong several times, and Steve Carell or Max uh, has to correct him. Chris Kringle, fish stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. Um, so I, I I think that Alan Arkin is great in everything he is in, and this is no exception. Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't seen for, I think the the role where I became aware of Alan Arkin as a thing, and I know I, I'm late to coming to Alan Arkin as a thing, but um, was Argo, and he's just oh, so yes. fantastic in that movie too. Right. So definitely watch some Alan Arkin films. You won't be you won't be sad that you did that. Yes. And um, then there's Agent 23, who is Dwayne Johnson before he the was the, the, the big Dwayne Johnson that he is now, both literally <laughs> and uh, figuratively, because he's in pretty much every film nowadays, it seems like. All the films. Yes. And I've got to say, I like Dwayne Johnson. I don't always like his starring roles, though. And so in this film, I think he's perfect. He is charming. He's likable. But then he has the twist where, hey, he's the bad guy, too. And he fits that role so perfectly. Well, it's interesting. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he plays the bad guy that often. And uh, spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> right. I <laughs> just let it out there. Um, I don't think he plays the bad guy that often. So retroactively, I think it's funny and it works for me that he's this charming, lovable guy who's never a bad guy. Uh, and then and then all of a sudden he is like, he, you know, he just, oh, I don't have time for this. And, he you know, he takes the gun and puts it to Agent 99's head and then they're off to the races. Like it's just a, it, that's the one twist really in the film. I can't think of any other twists in the film. And that's the one twist in the film. And it works pretty Pretty well, you know. It's it's like, well, okay, I get it. it you know, if anybody was gonna, you know, you because you're going, you're, you're kind of going through this list in your head when when because you know somebody's a mole and you right. know it's gonna be one of the characters that you like at this point. And so you're going through the list in your head. Well, it can't be Alan Arkin. I don't want it to be Alan Arkin. I really hope it's not, uh, you know, uh, Agent 99 because I really like her. And uh, then that leaves you with the stupid uh, buffoon dude uh, who you know it's not him because it's just too make it's way too obvious. And then you you've got the other two, and the you know the one guy the. Uh, the, uh, he's not in the film that much, and so the the only other option is you know Dwayne Johnson, and so by the time you get there, but but you kind of you're not really thinking about it by the time you get there, and so it's just this this twist that comes out of nowhere, but then you think about it for two seconds, and you're like, oh yep, I I should have seen that coming. Yeah, and I I love the scenes. He has a couple of funny scenes as well. There's one where he's sort of trying to adjust to desk life, and he comes <laughs> up to Larrabee and he says, hey, you left the copier jammed, and he says, why don't you unjam it? And so he he takes a stapler and he staples a piece of paper to Larrabee's head and uh, yeah. like wow okay <laughs> that was that was something <laughs> and then he goes off to the chief 
and he's trying to explain himself. And he says, hey, we have rules here. W- what are we if we're not following our rules? And Alan Arkin responds, well, I'll tell you what we aren't. Guys who staple things to other people's heads. <laughs> That's CIA crap. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I love that line, that, that, the CIA part. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, even though 23 is a bad guy, he has his fun scenes and his likable scenes. When he first walks in and he's staring down the attractive receptionist and he walks into the edge of the door frame. Uh, I mean, that's perfect. And that's the kind of subtle humor we're treated to throughout this movie as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, any other characters you want to at least mention to just say you enjoyed them? Uh, I loved the Bill Murray cameo. Like, like oh, I don't even understand how they got him into that, you know, cameo because, you know, he's a pretty big star. Uh, but uh, there he was, and it was great. It was just wonderful. Um, and then, of course, there's Terrence Stamp, you know, General Zod, but more more goofy, less General Zod. So, uh, yeah, I, I loved him here, too. Uh, and I always have to give a shout-out to Masioka, who I, I, I loved in Heroes. Um, he was always this, you know, kind of lovable, go-get-em character in Heroes that, that made, that was kind of a, a, a relief in Heroes from all the super serious, you know, Heroes tended to take itself a little seriously. And he was always the relief from that. And so I, I, I learned to love him there in Heroes. And then here he was and Get Smart. I'm like, yes, it's Masioka. I love him. So, yeah, give a shout-out to him as well. Yeah, those four side characters, you've got Bruce and Lloyd, who are the sort of nerd geeks, friends of Max. Yeah. And then you've got Larrabee, who I already mentioned as the the, the recipient of the stapler in the face. And then- uh, He deserved it. He did, he way. did. <laughs> um, and then there's 91, played by Terry Crews. And yes. all four of them have their own special parts in the film. And I like them just as much as I like the other characters. I think they're, they're a great supporting cast. They don't have to be uh, highlighted- at the at the top billing in order to make me laugh in this movie. I, I get laughs from pretty much everybody at some point. And yeah, then like agreed. you said, like you said, there's Terrence Stamp as Siegfried, there's uh Starker and there's Deleep, and they are great villains. They don't have a, a, a lot of growth one way or the other. They're just good villains. I mean, this is a spoof of a nineteen sixties TV show or mm-hmm. a, an adaptation of a nineteen sixties TV show. Yeah, I'm just gonna assume that Chaos was the main bad you know, guys in the original show is why. Right. I, I'm assuming so. And I'm I'm assuming things like Kafrikan Boom is a reference to the show. Unfortunately I haven't <laughs> seen it, so I, I can't say it specifically, but I would assume that is. And then you know that the car that Max breaks out of the museum and yeah, the suit and the be. shoes, those are all T V show props, which I think is great. We're such uncultured swine that we don't know this, Chad. Yeah, I know. At least I know who Don Adams is because he was the voice of Inspector Gadget. Yeah, I, I didn't know who that was, but I, uh, I'm i sure if I heard the voice, I'd recognize it because I certainly watched Inspector Gadget as a kid. Well, let's go ahead and move on to music. So as we mentioned earlier, it's composed by Trevor Rabin, and it reminds me a lot of his score for National Treasure, especially at the beginning mm-hmm. where you're traveling through D.C. and you... you pan onto national monuments and the Capitol building and you have the ba da dum ba da da dum I mean stuff like that. It, it's sort of really nationalistic sounding in a good way and it it's familiar but he also has some great action music. He has some great peaceful moments, some quiet moments and uh, overall I think it's a fun score. Well, and I'll just assume too that uh, there's there's certain parts where it's it's pretty clear to me he must be alluding to the uh, the 1960s theme, which I wouldn't know because I have never watched it. So, but um, I'm sure he did that as well. And you might know better than me because you're much more of a score guy than I am. 
Right. Well, the the main theme from the TV show is the music that we hear as Max walks down the hallway with the doors. Right. I assume that. Yeah. So that that's where it's just blatantly. This is the theme from the TV show. Enjoy. And then there are other times throughout the film, which I, it, this is great. Michael Giacchino did this as well for Star Trek, where he takes the original themes and he integrates it into new material that sounds a little bit more modern. I never yeah, felt yeah. there was a point in this movie where the the. 1960s theme was an intrusion into the rest of the score and I think that's great yeah I think like you say with the, and, and and me I'm, I'm in a position to judge because I don't know what the theme sounds like for get smart the show and so I would notice if something stood out as out of place but they were just trying to get the shoehorn something in and I never noticed any of that so I think that works well and I think the Michael Giacchino uh, comparison is apt uh, because I am also I I know Star Trek every bit of it like the back of my hand right and so I, I you know like when uh, in Star Trek Into Darkness when Spock is fighting up on that thing with with Khan and there's uh, there's a particular part of the theme that comes in that's that is the it's the music where Spock uh, is fighting uh, in another episode of Star in uh, a 1960s episode of Star Trek is da 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 and so Giacchino just brings that in there. And it works so well. So I think that comparison is apt. Uh, sorry, you got me off on a Star Trek tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I would expect nothing less from you, TJ. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> but yeah, I, I always love when a composer who is tasked with adapting some other composer's work does that in a respectful way that doesn't just hammer you over the head. Remember when we were on yes. Movie Bite and we talked about the, re- the RoboCop reboot and they just like shoveled out this old 1980s TV theme or movie theme and just tossed it all over the movie. And it felt so out of place in that film. Hmm. And I mean, Robocop isn't a great film, but that, that music specifically always felt out of place to me. I, I have no memory of this, Chad. So uh, I'll have to go <laughs> and watch Robocop because I remember liking the new Robocop, but I, but that's not to say that they're not correct about the score for sure. Right. Well, anyways, anything else to say about the music? Uh, no, that's mostly your territory. I, I noted that it was good and that it was it seemed well done. And there are parts of it that I walk away every time I watch this movie and I sort of got it stuck in my head. Like there's a the sort of passing action theme. The the da dum ba dum bum bum ba dum bum ba dum ba dum Yes, yes, I yeah, do like that. I, I get that stuck in my head every time I watch this movie too. And again, I think part of that is because it sounds somewhat similar to National Treasure, but I don't think there was any part of this movie where I was just like, Oh man, that is straight up National Treasure. He's copying himself and lifting his own music. So um, no Han Zimmering. No, he's no, not Hans Zimmering, or at least early <laughs> Hans Zimmering in the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> That's a verb now. It is. <laughs> well, let's move on to, real quick, a brief relevant section. I just have one quick thing. I think uh, a common part of this movie is not judging a book by its cover. You've got serious instances of that where you've got Max proving himself as a capable agent and not just somebody who should stay behind a desk. And then you've got Agent 99, who over the course of the film reveals that, yes, I had plastic surgery to change my face. Do you have anything to say about that theme specifically, TJ? Uh, no, I, I really don't. I mean, the only thing I could come up with for relevance was, uh, hey, it's uh, everybody needs a little bit of comedy in their life and this hits the spot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's a fair point as well. And um, one more thing to the the judging a book by its cover, you've got the, the double agent reveal of Agent 23. So yes, there are serious iterations of that there are not serious iterations of that um but i I think it's at least a small thing to walk away from a film that's mostly just made to make you laugh and to that end we're just going to do what we did with the the, so i married an axe murder episode and read some jokes back and forth to each other 
So okay. how about you start us off, TJ? Okay, well, one of my favorite lines is when, uh, well, it's, it's my favorite uh, sequence of lines is uh, when uh, Agent 23 says to Max, they're, they're on top of the car, and he says, it's not over, Max. I'll take that briefcase. And Max says, if you want it, you'll have to take it. He says, that's what I just said. He says, I know. I'm just trying to annoy you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, there's one at the very beginning where he's giving his brief in the office and he says, yes, they are bad guys, but that is what they do, not who they are. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's uh, that's a joke. But uh, just real quick aside, that's another testament to Max's warm heart. He he is trying to get to the the people behind the the act, right? These are These are bad guys, but they might just be being told what they're supposed to be doing. They might be threatened by Siegfried or whatever else. That's just Max sort of getting to the real root of the problem rather than just assigning labels to people. But this is the joke section, so let's get past that. There was another part, the the cone of silence at the beginning of the movie, where nobody can hear each other. So Max starts experimenting, and he says, Chief, I hit you in the head with a fire extinguisher. And uh, upon realizing that the chief can't hear him, he just slowly turns toward the camera with this blank stare, like, look what I just got away with. <laughs> and it, it's a funny moment. Yeah, I was thinking that they didn't break the fourth wall, but I guess if he turned to the camera, they probably did. I don't know if he looked exactly at the camera, but he just sort of turned back towards the center of the table and was like, oh, well, so we can't hear each other. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so one of my one of my favorite uh, lines as well, and I can't believe it's almost like I don't know how they got away with this or didn't get flack for this. But uh, Starker says it's toward the very end of the movie. Um, Too bad about all the dead movie stars. And Siegfried says, yes, what will we do without their razor sharp political advice? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's see. We've got I'm just widening my eyes. I'm not actually seeing anything more. <laughs> when he's yeah, on the yeah, yeah. yeah. Use your peripherals. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh I would shoot you with my gun. And she takes his gun. You don't have a gun. He says, I did until you took it. <laughs> Bang your dad. Bang your dad. Would you stop shooting me? It's annoying. <laughs> I mean, I've got a long, long list of these, TJ, so how about you give us a couple? Okay, um, so I, lo- I love the line uh, where he says, uh, don't forget, everyone here can be replaced. And then he turns to Dolly and he says, I even have backup for you. It's a rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> and then we already quoted the how do I know you're not control line at the very beginning. Oh, yes, and uh, yes. in that same scene, uh, Max has gotten a communicator that is placed on his molar and he isn't exactly familiar with the sensitivity needed to communicate with agent 99 so well and the whole thing is kind of dumb this this is a little bit over my threshold where really? he's like I, uh, he's repeating stuff very loudly and it's like so obvious he's so obvious i think that's so funny though did you say siegfried <laughs> and he just stares at him yes uh, <laughs> and he does that again that, that's one of my favorite lines tj okay okay i'll give it to you <laughs> what else Oh, the chief, when he says, uh, if you don't find that screen, Mr. Larrabee, I'm going to have you hunting for landmines with a hammer. (laughs) And then there's, um, uh, there's the swordfish line, of course. And at the very end, when they're at the concert and he has just tackled the conductor and they are trying to prove to the CIA that there's a bomb. And he says, would you believe under the piano? And Agent 99 (laughs) says, Max, was that a, he's a, a total guess. Yes, it was. <laughs> How about one more? Okay, so um, when Larrabee says, put me out there, Chief, I'm not afraid to expose myself. And Agent 99 <laughs> just turns to him and he's like, do you ever think before you speak? He's like, no, I just whip it out there. That's what's best. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, right, right. So uh, good. Uh, like I said, I have a whole page of these. I, I basically just type down every time I laughed while watching. Um, but I'll I'll leave the rest of it for you people to go out and watch this movie. I have one more. I just ha- I have to okay, get this okay, one, out. one it, more. It's, it's it's really great. Uh, Dalip says bomb didn't go off, and Siegfried says, "Oh, really? Bright eyes. What alerted you? Was it the no boom boom or the lack of a mushroom cloud?" <laughs> and then of course Starker chimes in he's like it was the mushroom cloud for me right that, that's, a, that's <laughs> the funniest part of that communication for me was uh, Starker's comment and yeah, then yeah. Uh, I, I just really want to quickly mention the uh, the repeated lines you've got you don't have one of these huh my watch is a Geiger counter miniature blowgun or uh, 99 finally gets on in, in on it and says exploding dental floss you don't have this huh Huh. That's a funny line, and then there's the missed it by that much. Oh yes, missed it by you got you got to missed it by that much. Right, right, right. <laughs> so go out and watch this movie and laugh at those lines and all of the other ones. Uh, TJ, how about you finish this off with some closing thoughts? Uh, I think that this film was exactly what I needed a couple nights ago. Uh, I wish I had. Wa- so I we're going to be talking about Logan on uh, retake uh, tomorrow night when we record. Uh-huh. Uh, hopefully tomorrow night. We've we had some scheduling issues, but anyway. So I watched uh, Get Smart first, and then I watched Logan. I wish I'd done it the other way around because Logan was super heavy. But um, it was it was like a gut punch, man. But uh, th- this 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 film is really kind of just what I needed anyway to, to kind of loosen me up and end the day and just be like, ah, oh, nice, a nice comedy that's, you know, not too serious, but it has some great themes. So it's definitely, definitely worth your time. Uh, I really enjoy this film. And it, it really makes me sad that it's so poorly rated on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I think it's sitting at about 51%, which just makes me sad. It's like these these poor cynical critics, they just can't stop and enjoy a good film. Uh, th- fortunately, both uh, Roger Ebert and his partner in crime, uh, Richard Roper, uh, once upon a time uh, when when Ebert was still with us, but they both wrote uh, good reviews. Uh, and in fact, Roger Ebert wrote, wrote a glowing review of this film, and he rated it three and a half stars out of four for him. So I, I really am glad that he he you know a, a critic that I respect uh, rated it highly. Right. I've always found myself siding with Roger more than anybody else when it came Usually. to reading critic reviews. Usually. And so hearing that he gave this film a positive review warms my heart. I'm going to have to go look it up and read it for myself here in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I echo everything you said, TJ. This is, like I said, one of my favorite comedy films because it's not beating you over the head with shock comedy or raunchy jokes or anything like that. It's just a fun, pretty family friendly on the whole comedy film and i appreciate that i love steve carell i love i loved him in the office i loved him here i i think he is a great actor i will see most anything he's in Mm. and everybody else in this film is on par as well so uh with that i think that is the end of the 32nd episode of cinescope thanks again for being with me tj oh it was my pleasure i'm so glad that you talked me into watching this film great um Real quick, before we move on to final contact information, I have a sort of announcement for everybody, Uh, a cool next step in the development of Cinescope. So a few weeks back, I was contacted by an app developer. Uh, The app is called Anchor.fm, and it is basically short-form radio broadcasting. Their tagline is Radio Reinvented. Hmm. So it's somewhere in between podcasting and radio broadcast, and basically you have clips that you can record anywhere up to five minutes long and you can talk about something you can share music from spotify and apple music you can do all kinds of things and cinescope is a featured app on this app they just relaunched on tuesday march 7th and we are featured in the entertainment section so 
Thank you. So you can go in the show notes and there is going to be a link to the station or the better way probably would be to download the app on your phone. It is available on iOS and on Android. It is called Anchor and you just have to log in, create an account and scroll over to the entertainment section on the homepage and you will be able to see the familiar logo and join and listen to Cinescope. So this is a daily supplement to the podcast. It's not a paid thing. It's not anything that's going to take away from what this podcast is. So one of the advantages of Anchor is that you can actually call in and then I can publish your call in and respond to you on the station for everybody to hear. So Go to the show notes, go to the app store for your respective device, download Anchor, and come check us out. I'd love for you to participate in that because I'm having a lot of fun with it, meeting a lot of new people, and that is the next step going forward for Cinescope. Nice. So contact for the show elsewhere. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast and at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. Please remember to go to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any feedback or ideas, go and email at thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in co-hosting, have a movie that you love that you wouldn't mind talking about for a little while, contact me and let me know. I'd love to fit you in. TJ, where can people find you online? The best place to find me is uh, at TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Uh, I'll make a little confession. I have recently stopped being a Twitter completionist. I just can't do it anymore. But I'm still there. I'm still in full presence there. Uh, and I think I, I've also started using the official Twitter app, which has an algorithm that shows me things that I might have missed. So uh, I think that I'll still see most of it. And, and I'll definitely see my mentions. So I love talking about film on Twitter. So tweet me at TJ Draper Pro. And uh, that's the best place to get a hold of me. Also, you can find my uh, podcast that I do at nightowl.fm slash retake. And we talk about uh, a movie once a week. Uh, it can be an old movie, a new movie, a TV show, whatever. We talk about something entertainment wise once a week. Awesome. Definitely go check out Retake, everybody. Check out Night Owl at their website, which will be in the show notes, and check out uh, the, the other podcasts that are th available through them. The best place to find me is on Twitter at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, and on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And all the show notes, all the contact information, the link for our anchor channel can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you, TJ. Having you on the show has been awesome once again. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 32. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 33. Have fun and celebrate movies. Bye-bye.